Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to Kirill Hartog, editor-in-chief of Are We Europe, the print magazine and digital platform that was launched in 2017 out of the chaos surrounding Brexit. It exists to tell stories about Europe in a non-divisive and constructive way. And since it's a magazine that was literally born out of crisis, I wanted to speak with Kirill to find out what they're doing in the face of coronavirus, a totally new type of crisis that is affecting virtually everyone in some way. This episode marks a departure for the Stack Podcast. Until now, I've recorded all of our conversations in person, sitting in the same room as the editors, publishers and art directors I've spoken to. That's because I think you get a more relaxed and natural result when you're literally sitting opposite each other. Of course, that is a luxury we're not allowed these days, so I'm switching to Skype to record our episodes in isolation. And while I was at home in London, Kirill was over in Luxembourg. I think the results sound good enough. Uh, I'm afraid you might hear my children in a few places. And I edited out a whole section where the printer started up just next to my desk. But all in all, I'd say it works. The trickier problem for me is time. Uh, we normally release our episodes every Friday afternoon, but at the moment I'm splitting the week with my wife so we can both work and look after the kids and I'm finding there just isn't enough time to get everything done. So the podcast has slipped to something more like fortnightly. I'm really keen to keep it going and we've got more interviews lined up, but for the next few weeks, I think we're just going to say that we get the episodes out as often as we can. Uh, But I'm very pleased to be starting that with this conversation recorded at the end of March with Kirill Hartog, editor-in-chief of Are We Europe? Uh, so, uh, Kirill, thank you so much for uh, being the first person to uh, speak to me remotely like this. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, you are um, one of the people behind uh, Are We Europe, um, which is now on its sixth issue, talking all about issues of uh, Europeanness. Um, I'm really interested to know, like, how did this whole thing start? Yeah. Yeah, so basically, um, we were still studying, we are in university, me and uh, three friends from Amsterdam, and this was uh, 2017, so obviously we had, you know, Brexit and, and Trump in the making, um, and basically we we were a bit sick uh, of the coverage about Europe, because it was all about crisis, 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 uh, stuff wasn't functioning, it was only Brussels and, and Brexit, uh, and we thought, hey, this this isn't the Europe that uh, we knew, that we grew up with. This isn't resonating with, uh, you know, the conversations we're having with our friends and our family. Uh, A lot of students, obviously, that study abroad. So we thought, why not start a blog where we can uh, bring together these different perspectives from different countries and show a side of Europe that's more interesting and more original and more exciting than, you know, EU policy Mm. and Mm. Brussels. Mm. So that's Mm. basically how it started. And so you're based in Brussels most of the time. I know you're in Luxembourg now because it's self-isolating, but so you're you're normally in Brussels working on the Mac. Yes. So uh, for about a year now, uh, we've moved to Brussels. We have a, an office there, uh, a beautiful uh, co-working space and then a cultural uh, center as well where we organize loads of uh, different uh, 
events and, and, and festivals and concerts. Uh, and before that, um, our team was kind of spread out uh, over, uh, I myself, I was in Paris, we had some people in Scotland, we had some people in uh, the Netherlands, uh, and then we decided to, uh, you know, settle in Brussels, seemed like the right place to be. Uh, and yeah, we've been working there with a team of uh, almost, uh, let's see, there's 10 of us now, it used to be four. So wow, grown quite a bit. Um, and uh, we have a, a, an office in Brussels, yeah. And, and so the 10 of you who are working there, is this is this your job that you do the whole time or, or is this something that you kind of fit in as and when you can? No, so I mean, uh, back in the day, it used to be obviously something that we would do on the side uh, while we were still studying, uh, where we had other part-time jobs. But uh, for the past year, it's been a pretty much full-time occupation you know, with, you know, the side note that obviously it's quite difficult financially to, to, um, you know, to uh, run this organization, to hire people full time. So we don't, uh, we can't offer that uh, yet, of course. So we work with freelancers, but uh, we're there every single day. And if it wouldn't mm. be for the coronavirus, we would show up every single day <laughs> at the office. We would have our brainstorms, we'd have our editorial meeting. Uh, we're a newsroom, we're a proper newsroom, or at least we're trying to be. Uh, with the limited resources uh, that we have, of course. And so how do you go about that then? Because, the, I mean, when you're trying to do something like this, resources will play such an important part. Um, yeah. What's your approach to trying to cover the kind of stories that you want to, but with that, you know, kind of the reduced scope? Yeah, well, I think I think we're quite lucky, actually, that we don't have to chase the news uh, obviously, when you're in an independent magazine, you've got a little more time to reflect. You've got more freedom in uh, the choice of subjects that you're going to cover. So all of that, I think, plays in, in our favor. And uh, if, if I can draw a link to, you know, the corona crisis that we're, we're all experiencing now, it's it's been amazing, actually, to see that uh, indie magazines and, and independent media more generally, but also local and regional media, media they're having such a, a positive impact on people's lives because they're they're filling a gap uh, with the type of stories that that just aren't being delivered mm. by breaking news. Which is not to say that we don't need you know uh, reporting and breaking news. It's obviously crucial mm. uh, to have that. But uh, you know our our approach is obviously uh, much slower. It's more research based articles. Uh, we do do some reporting, but we don't have the capacity to. Uh, send people uh, all over the world to cover for us. And so we actually rely on the local expertise of, um, you know, the, the, the people that are in our European network that are basically spread out all over the EU, but also beyond in, in countries like Armenia and Ukraine and Belarus. Um, and we get the local stories from them directly from the source. And I think that that, that adds um, uh, something, you know, to 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 the originality of the story um, mm. and and a little bit of a personal aspect that we felt uh, was missing in mm. most of the coverage about Europe and the, and this is this is something that we hear a lot from independent magazine makers the whole idea of going slower going deeper and drawing on the the local expertise rather than you know a correspondent who's been kind of parachuted into the, the situation you, your current exactly. issue um your current issue um focuses on religion um and looking at various stories from across europe 
um, pertaining to religion, but particularly the way that religion is changing in our in our lives. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how this approach that that you've made your own, how that's helped with making this issue in particular. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, even even I would say the choice of topic, you know, to do an, a, 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 a whole issue on religion is kind of unusual in a way. I mean, I maybe maybe I haven't been reading up enough, but I we felt like it was definitely not enough stories about this. Uh, and and the, the interesting thing about Europe is that it's supposed to be the most secular continent on Earth. And, and, you know, you can look that up in all the statistics and the research and it'll show you they'll do surveys and it'll show you that, you know, uh, church attendance is dropping, et cetera, et cetera. And we thought, you know, let's investigate, particularly for young people, whether that's actually true and, and, and whether they're trying to maybe replace uh, traditional forms of religion with, I don't know, something, some, some other source of meaning. So that's kind of how it started out. And I think the beauty of, uh, of our approach, which is to say it's that sort of like international cross-border approach is that you can tackle this sort of question and compare how different the responses are based on uh, where your contributors and where your readers are based. Mm, so we've mm. got a lot of responses from Czech Republic and Poland uh, that shine a completely different perspective on, on uh, you know, religion and secularism today versus, for example, Scandinavia or Northwestern Europe. And I think that it's that, um, that sort of uh, comparing and contrasting that, that makes us unique and that makes this an interesting uh, issue for, for anyone, I think. Mm-hmm. And as you say, surfaces those more interesting stories that I guess uh, that run counter to the prevailing narrative. Did, like you mentioned the Czech Republic there. Like, what was it in particular that came out of there that kind of surprised you? Exactly. Well, I mean, the Czech Republic is known as one of the, if not the most uh, uh, secular atheist country in Europe, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and that there's reasons for that, historical reasons, mostly to do with, with communism and, and, you know, religion being suppressed there for, for many, many decades. But what we saw is actually that someone pitched us a story about how superstition and uh, witchcraft and fortune telling was... Uh, uh, you know, present stronger than ever in the Czech Republic. And so, you know, I mean, can we conclude whether that's a, their replacement for religion? I don't know, but at least it's this <laughs> sort of funky, funky, unexpected thing that just surfaces up. Like, you know, it's, it's a strange feeling as editors. We just put out a call. We, we ask questions on Facebook communities and in Slack groups and in Telegram uh, conversations. And then we get all these, you know, quirky subjects back. And it's, it's really... Uh, quite fascinating to see every with every issue how diverse and how uh, surprising some of the angles uh, turn out to be yeah yeah I the, the the one that really stuck in my mind uh, was your piece on the contemporary uh, witches of Romania um, yeah which well I, I, I I'll let you explain the, the story well I mean yeah it's it's it's, it's funny it's, it's it's a beautiful photo series actually uh, that's another thing I, I think is, is, is just lovely about having a magazine is that you can take the time to bring, you know, visual stories that that maybe tell uh, something that might otherwise be very dry if you would write it in an article in, in a very nice and appealing way. And this story is about, uh, you know, young witches in Romania that are using social media, you know, Instagram and, and all of these 
these platforms uh, to perform and to revive sort of these ancient rituals. And, uh, and, and, and they're also, in a way, um, uh, you know, feminists, because they're changing the narrative about witches, witches that obviously used to be seen as, uh, you know, evil temptresses or women that had some sort of uh, um, evil agenda. And now they're, they're showing that actually, you know, you can be young and you can be modern and you can be uh, attractive and you can have an Instagram account and still call yourself a witch yeah. and, uh, and do some good. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so this issue, as we say, uh, focuses on religion. Uh, in previous issues, you focused on uh, technology, democracy, uh, I guess kind of identity. What for you makes the ideal Are We Europe story? Yeah. So as you say, the themes are very diverse, and uh, and and it's maybe, you know, from the outside, it may be hard for someone at first glance to see what ties it all together. But what we always try to look for is our central question, which is even in our name. Uh, it's are we Europe? It's 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 framed that way for a reason. It's not a statement. It's not we are Europe. It's are we Europe? And that's because we want to search for what it means to be European, especially today in a chaotic uh, and increasingly complicated world. That's the central point. Uh, so every story hopefully crosses a, a border of some sort uh, and tries to investigate what it means, whether this European identity, whether you believe in it or not, whether you think it exists or whether you think it's a complete illusion, uh, it hopefully it'll tackle that question. Mm. Um, and additionally to that, we try to bring, as I said, unexpected, underreported stories that you um, wouldn't find uh, easily and I think obviously every magazine and every media tries to do that we do that in our own way by by engaging our community that is so spread out and that is so diverse uh, in many ways um, and and trying to get those stories also from places you you might never have heard of I mean like I I remember us going to Moldova to shoot a documentary uh, about a year and a half ago and I remember landing at the airport and you know, I'm being quite honest here. I had to Google Maps where I was because I had no idea where Moldova was on the map. <laughs> uh, and and I'm and I'm sure I'm not the only one. And I think that that's the beauty of doing European storytelling is that you you get to discover discover so many of these places that that otherwise would go by unnoticed. And the story that we did there uh, ended up being you know very very relevant and it resonated to audiences in Germany, in France, in the Netherlands. Uh, so it just goes to show that if you put a little bit more uh, effort into into the way that you scope and, and, and look for the story, then you can actually, um, yeah, you can go really far in, in how how surprising it ends up being. Mm -hmm. so, so how are you managing to keep this show on the road then? So the, you know, like flying to Moldova to report a story, running a team of 10 people from uh, uh, from offices in, in Brussels that, I mean, this is all like, it's a significant and expensive thing to do. How are you funded? How, how are you keeping yourselves going? Sure, yeah, it's it's great question. And it's uh, it's actually the million dollar question, I think, <laughs> for obviously most media. Absolutely. Um, and we have what is called in fancy startup language, a multi-sided revenue model which is a fancy word for for saying uh that we don't have one particular revenue source that is big enough to sustain us mm -hmm. yet 
but there's no harm in that. And I think the beauty of it is that we've experimented with lots of different things. So we've done, you know, micro donations. Uh, obviously, we've got, you know, public grant money, uh, not as many people would expect, actually, from the EU. Uh, we don't we haven't taken uh, any money from them. But uh, we, we were part of this uh, Dutch uh, journalism accelerator program where we were taught how to uh, use uh, sort of startup methodologies and, and business techniques um, uh, to in journalism. Um, we obviously do sp specific grants for specific stories. So the one that I mentioned in Moldova um, that came about through a specific grant and, and often we also work with partners, which means a lot of outreach and a lot of sales in order to try to get people on board and say, hey, okay, let's let's work together on this project and can you scrape together a few thousand here and can this mm. other party scrape together another few thousand and can we can we fund it uh, and it's not it's not been easy but i think we've managed so far against all odds to um, print every single issue uh, that we've produced and pe people were telling us that that we were crazy to to print at a time when you know everyone was saying that print was dead mm. and i just yeah it just goes to show that um uh, if you've got a loyal community of readers and if, if the work that you produce um, has quality, then even in these times, people are still willing to pay for it. And and that brings me to my last, you know, revenue source that I haven't mentioned, which is that we're, uh, like many other media, we're trying to uh, grow our, our base of, uh, of members, of paying members. And uh, that's actually what we're uh, uh, launching uh, very, very recently. We started uh, a few weeks ago, actually to use uh, Steady, which I don't know if you've heard of, but it's uh, it's kind of like Patreon, uh, some of these like membership platforms, but mm -hmm. then it's specifically European and it's specifically uh, geared to um, uh, media, young independent media. Right, okay. Uh, so I, I actually, I hadn't seen it before I saw it on your site. Um, how are you finding that's going for you so far? Well, honestly, it's it's really early stages right now. Um, we've we've installed the plugin and, and created the page uh, two weeks ago, so uh, I think we've got uh, we've got our first. Uh, I don't want to lie, but I think we've got our first fifty members. So uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's getting there. I think uh, we won't have thousands of members next week, but uh, slowly but steadily. And, and so I think with that, then you've got. I think three levels is that right? And the so it goes from uh, the the cheapest end. It's people who I think are just kind of supporting you because they believe in what you're doing. And then at the most expensive end, it's that they get the printed magazine and they get uh, sort of uh, some influence on the stories that you're covering. Exactly, and that's another thing that we've been investing in this year. Is we hired an engagement editor. Uh, and we're really trying to talk more to our community and to see what kind of stories are working for them, what they need, what they're lacking. Uh, it's something that we weren't really thinking about before, probably because we were so busy just trying to survive that we didn't we didn't have that the luxury to to, to listen. We were just producing, you know, churning out articles and, and trying to make some noise. Um, and now we have an engagement editor who's whose job it is to understand, you know, the needs of our readers, of our contributors and see where we can really make a difference. Mm. And yeah, so part of that is really trying to give them more of a say, um, trying to crowdsource their knowledge with every story that we do, 
um, and we've been doing that recently. And it's again, it's it's amazing to see the results that you can get um, when you put the, these uh, collective brains and perspectives together. Mm. So come on, give, give us give us the quick sales pitch for your your three different levels. What do people get, uh, and why should people listening to this go straight over to your site and sign up? <laughs> All right, I'll do my best. I'm not, I'm not the best person in my team to, uh, <laughs> to do the sales pitches, but uh, I'll do my best. No, so, I mean, uh, journalism is in crisis and, and Europe is in crisis. And I think the main reason that you would support uh, Are We Europe is that we cover Europe in a different way, in a non-boring way. We think of the biggest issues that we have to tackle in the future, but we... We cover them in a non-divisive and a more constructive way. Um, you can get a beautiful print magazine that's illustrated with a lot of love and care. Uh, we've we have design thinking experts in our team who spend a lot of time thinking of the best way that we can bring you a story. So we're not just dumping information on you. We're bringing it in a, a beautifully packaged way. Uh, you're supporting independent. Uh, creators, journalists, but also podcast makers, photographers, illustrators uh, in the process. So you get a beautiful product, you're supporting independent creators. Um, and if you go up a tier and you become one of our most loyal supporters, uh, you'll get exclusive access for, from all of our multimedia projects, uh, which we develop at the edges of Europe. Uh, we go to Greece, to Greenland, to Moldova, to Armenia, um, and, and we make beautifully immersive multimedia stories that you can scroll through with sound, with animation, with video. Uh, and I promise you that it's, it's an experience worth having. So, so I think, am I right in saying that most of the written uh, pieces on your site are available for people to access for free? And so then it's, it's yes. the multimedia stuff that actually you have to pay for. Yes, and we want to keep our website completely ad-free. Uh, we don't want to, uh, you know, uh, start producing clickbait. I mean, there are some principles that we would like to maintain. Uh, and so we don't have a paywall either. We have a very soft paywall, meaning that you can read every article for free. And once in a while, you'll get a pop-up with a, with a little button saying, uh, hey, would you consider signing up to, to become a member? Uh, but that's it. Sure. Uh, but, and so then is the multimedia... Uh, is that viewable on the site or is that something that only members get to see? Uh, as of yet, not yet. We're uh, thinking that it's quite likely that we will start doing that uh, at some point this year for mm -hmm. the future ones that we've made. But everything that we've made so far is freely available and it'll stay that way. Right. OK. So, I mean, thinking about this this whole project and, and how all of the different parts work together, what do you see as the role for print? within all of this because I mean the you know the, the multimedia stuff is clearly you know you invest a lot of, of time and, and effort into that um, and of course the print really can't do that justice really can't show that so what 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 me, what makes you need to have a, a print magazine at all yeah well fair question uh, Steve and I I think lots of people have uh, have asked us this and uh, the main reason is maybe that we're a little bit old school <laughs> or, or that we, or that we like to, you know, we just enjoy it too much to have this physical pro uh, product in, in, in our hands every three months. Uh, but to be honest, the it's, it's, it's been proven, I think in, in, in terms of our formula, you know, what works for us 
that the print magazine is something people are willing to pay for because it's uh, it gives them a break from you know the digital experience. I think it's not for nothing that people are going on digital detoxes and are talking about blocking pop-ups and blocking mm, push mm. notifications. Um, and you know we try to produce journalism that is timeless, which means that you know a magazine will be relevant a year from now or hopefully even two years from now. Um, so I think there's a lot that you can do in print that you can also do online, but you just see that people's attention spans are completely hijacked. And, mm-hmm. you know, I myself am, am just as guilty of this. I, uh, I think it's, uh, it's amazing to see, actually, that, for example, our average user uh, on, on, on Are We Europe on the website stays around, I think it's a minute and 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the average duration which is uh, really, really long. I, I spoke to someone who, who works at one of the you know, big mainstream media, and they say that the average is 12 seconds oh, for an article. So, I, I mean, for me, that just confirms you know, the, the hypothesis that, sure, you might reach less, fewer people, and, uh, and uh, your impact is obviously not as big. But the ones who you do reach, you're really, you know, engaging with your content. They're staying, they're sticking around. And I think a print magazine is the perfect example of that. Mm, 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 absolutely. So what then does the future hold for all of this? What, what are you trying to uh, get done once this whole coronavirus thing is behind us? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the coronavirus is, a, is an interesting test in itself, actually, to see what we as independent media makers can do uh, in order to, uh, you know, publish the kind of stories that people might need in, in this time of crisis. But mm. but after the, the coronavirus, we'll probably go back to Brussels and and, uh, and get the team together and keep on working, keep on doing what we've been doing, which is trying to grow our readers, trying to grow our impact, uh, and trying to achieve that, that holy grail of financial sustainability, uh, becoming less dependent on grants, on subsidies, and and uh, really trying to to make a, make a lasting uh, media, which which isn't easy to do these days. Fantastic. Well, um, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to speak to me, um, and really good luck with that. Thank you, Steve. It was my pleasure. Okay, that's all for this week. I would like to say thanks again to Kirill for making the time to speak with me. And of course, very good luck with that mission to make our Europe sustainable beyond the grants and the subsidies. We have copies of the current issue in the Stack Shop now. So if you want to see those stories about religion for yourself, head to stackmagazines.com forward slash shop and pick up a copy while you can. Um, Of course, the coronavirus is slowing everything down at the moment. So please do allow extra time for the magazines to arrive with you Uh, we're keeping our FAQs updated with advice from Royal Mail as we get it but basically the warehouse is still running and we're able to send mail to most of the world and we're going to keep on doing that for as long as we can Remember, we've got loads of conversations with independent magazine makers in our archive. So just search for Stack Magazines wherever you get your podcasts and you'll find hours of listening to help you through these isolated times. And if you follow us while you're there, we'll be able to deliver our next episodes to you as soon as they're ready. Thanks very much for listening to this one and we'll be back with another episode at some point in the next couple of weeks.